This week, we're going to continue um, in our series before him. So we released a bunch of vidvotionals uh, over the last uh, several, well, we took a week and released seven vidvotionals um, each and every day. And those vidvotionals were targeted to uh, helping us come before the Lord, right? Come before him in his presence in order for him to develop spirit-led responses. So the idea is this, guys, is that in this moment in time, right, we, uh, we, we, are, we are expected to formulate a response for every issue that's happening in our culture. And it's really important to understand that we just don't formulate those responses on our own. That we're, they're actually spirit-led, that they're actually determined by his presence. They're determined in his presence, and they're determined by his presence. And so we're going to continue to, to work through uh, each devotional or each devotional. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about the idea of truth being the bedrock or the foundation of our responses. And this week, last week, we were at Sebago Lake, which was really awesome. Great time. Uh, this week, we're going to be focused on the idea of patience being uh, formulated and being uh, determined uh, in our responses. That patience uh, is something that is so critical and key to our responses to everything that we're facing right now as a society. And so we're going to look at a, na a man named Moses. We looked at Moses last week and we're going to look at Moses this week. And we're going to be in Numbers chapter 20. And it's really interesting because we're going to talk about patience. But we're actually going to look at uh, a moment in, in, in Moses' life where uh, <laughs> he lacked patience. We're going to look at a moment which is the complete antithesis of how we're supposed to respond. So we're going to draw, we're going to draw on a contrast in order to understand how a spirit-led response should look like. So three things that I wanted to just mention to you guys again this morning. What are the three keys uh, with spirit-led responses? Well, the first is this, is that they have to begin in his presence. So spirit-led responses cannot be developed unless we are in his presence. That is where they are developed. And not only are they, do they begin in his presence, but they are determined by his presence. And we'll see this morning that, that Moses began there, but he didn't necessarily end up there. So they're, they begin in his presence, they are determined by his presence, and finally they're communicated from his presence. And so determined and communicated sort of go together. But they have to be communicated at some point. And sometimes that, uh, that, that takes longer than other times. Sometimes our responses are determined and we know how we're, we're supposed to respond. But when that's communicated, maybe on, should be on God's timeline and not our own. So those are the three keys. Beginning his presence, being determined by his presence, and communicated from his presence. So we're going to look at Numbers chapter 20 this morning. And the main point is this. I want to get this right out of the gate just so that we can understand what it is that, that God is trying to show um, in this encounter with him. 
And the main point is this, is that the father wants trust to be established in his presence. He wants trust to be established in being with him. Trust must also be at the core of our responses because if we do not trust him, we will not be able to respond in accord with his will. So the idea today is patience, but the main point is that God wants to establish trust. The Father wants to establish trust in his presence. So when we come before him, when we come before him, our response and what he speaks to us, we actually trust in. We actually believe in. And that our response is determined by our trust in him. Not trust in ourselves. So let's go ahead and read Numbers chapter 20. And I'll give you a quick sort of context here. So we find the Israelites and Moses at this place called Kadesh. And this is actually the second time that they end up in this place in their wandering. If you remember in Exodus chapter 17, they ended up in Exodus or in, uh, in Kadesh and they had a similar experience with the father. And we'll get to that in a moment, but we find ourselves now here in chapter 20 in, Ex in, in, uh, in Numbers. And we see the Israelites camped at Kadesh. And so Moses' sister has just passed away. Miriam has just passed away. And once we read this text, we read later on that Moses' brother Aaron passes away. So there seems to be a theme going on here that we need to pick up on. So Numbers chapter 20, verse 2, this is what it says. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron. And the people quarreled, fighting, arguing amongst themselves, and with Aaron and with Moses. And this is what they say. Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? Eerily similar of the text we find in Exodus chapter 17. Very similar statement, very similar attitude, very similar mindset. They are not satisfied with what God has provided them. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. God had provided manna for them. They were not in a land that could bring forth those things that they were asking for. 
They were not in the place where God was ready to bless them with the fruit of the land. They were in a desert place where they, their provision was not in line with their expectation. They wanted grain, figs, vines, grapes, pomegranates. That was the promise. But God, you are slow to fulfill. And now we are anxious. We want it now. There is no water to drink. Why have you brought us to this place? So then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. First thing I want us to see is this, is that Aaron and Moses' response, their initial response was in obedience. As leaders, when faced with an issue, when faced with a trial, when faced with quarreling, with face, when faced with conflict, what is the first thing that we should do? Go before the Lord in his presence. Seek the wisdom and counsel of God in these moments of trial. And that's what Moses and Aaron did. Their initial response was in obedience. Their initial response was, Father, we need you in this. What shall we do? What shall we say? So they go into the entrance of the tent of meeting and fall on their faces and they worship God. They worship God. This was the tabernacle. The ta tabernacle had been erected. The tabernacle now was, was erected. It was created. It was, it, was, it was all formed and fashioned. And the Israelites would carry it wherever they went. And so they're camped at Kadesh. The tabernacle is built up. They are worshiping and sacrificing to God at this place. And Aaron and Moses go in to the door of the tent of meeting, and they fall on their faces and worship God. And then it says, And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation. You and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and the cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded. Now there's a couple different uh, arguments about whose staff it was. Um, some render it to be Moses' actual staff. Some render it to be you know, Aaron's staff that was in the presence of God, that was, that was there, the, the staff that budded um, after the rebellion of Korah, the other priests against Aaron and Moses. And, and God basically you know, showed his will through the, the, the budding of Aaron's staff as who was called to the Levitical, to the, to the work of the, the priests and the service to God in the whole in the in the uh, tabernacle 
Nevertheless, Moses takes the staff. He hears what God says. Listen again what God says. He says, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give them drink. Very similar to Exodus 17, where, where, where um, Jesus, or where Moses says, uh, Moses goes before the Lord and says, what am I to do? These guys are thirsty. And they're testing you, Lord. And the Lord says, take your rod, strike the rock, and water will come out. But this time he says, take your rod, speak to the rock, and water will come out. So we have Moses' initial response to the conflict was done in obedience, comes before the Lord. God's response, and here's the key, was patience. God's response was was patience. Now, what we have to understand here too is, is that these people that are complaining, see, we're about one year, one year away from the Israelites uh, heading into uh, their promised land, the land of Canaan. We're about one year from that point. So at this point, most of the people in the congregation are the new generation that have come up. Because we kind of infer that because we see the death of Miriam, we see the death of Moses not too long after that. I mean the death of Aaron not too long after that. So we can infer from from the text that most likely the, the people that were grumbling, the people that were quarreling, the people that were upset were probably mostly the new generation. And there's some conjecture there, but you can infer that it's probably just due to the time frame the new generation that has that has come up that is about to take the land it's really interesting because the last time they were at this place called Kadesh it is when the people rebelled against God and didn't want to go into the land the first time remember in in numbers I think chapter 13 14. Numbers chapter 14. We find the Israelites at Kadesh the first time. And the Lord says, send the spies out into the land. And the spies come back with a great report. And the Lord commands them to go into the land. And the people rebel and say, we are not going into that land. We are not sacrificing our children. We're not going there. We're not doing it. And then it was at that point where the Lord said, okay, okay, you will not enter this land. And for the 40 days that they were out spying the land will be a year for you in the wilderness so that when you are old, when your next generation comes behind you, that generation will be the generation that I bring into the land. So we have to understand the context here right now in this moment is that the people quarreling and grumbling most likely are that next generation because we're one year from going into the land. One year. 
Interestingly enough, the generation before them complained and grumbled against God in Kadesh, and their punishment was, you do not get to enter the land. They had squandered their inheritance. But interestingly, God is so patient with this generation that even in their quarreling and grumbling against God, he responds with patient kindness and love for them because he loves them. He wants the best for them. He knows that this land is crucial to make his name known throughout the earth. It is his will, his sovereign will and plan for the people of Israel to be the firstborn of the world in which Jesus will bring salvation to. So the Lord responds with patience. He responds to their complaining by simply making arrangements to quench their thirst. Like I said, we've been here before. Exodus chapter 17 in the town of Rephidim. The first generation grumbles about water and not having enough to drink. Right before they, they get to Mount Sinai. And they, they, they grumble and complain. And, and, and the, the Lord tells Moses, take the rod and, uh, take the rod and strike the rock and water will come out. And the really interesting thing is that in Exodus chapter 17, Moses responds in complete obedience with God's desire. Moses responds uh, with complete faith and trust that what he does and what God tells him to do, if he fulfills that, that the plans and purposes of God will be fulfilled. He responds in complete obedience in accord with, with what God's will is. He does exactly what God asks him to do in Exodus 17 the first time. God responds with patience in that moment as well. So conf confronted with the same issue... Maybe Moses is thinking when he comes into the presence of the Lord, well, he might just tell me the same thing he told me back in Exodus chapter 17 when we were right at the close to, 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 to entering into Mount Sinai and the wilderness of sin, which is the wilderness of Sinai. Maybe he's going to say to me, strike the rock and water will come out. But that's not what the father said. That's not what the Lord gave him for instructions. The Lord said, speak to the rock. Take the rod and speak to the rock and water will, pull, will, will uh, pour forth from this rock. And they will all be satisfied with the water that comes from it. Very interesting symbolism here between the first rock and Jesus. We could talk about that in a moment if we have time, but the typology happening here is just really so cool. I'll mention that at the end, but the typology of, of the rock and Jesus uh, just the symbolism and the foreshadowing and the, the, the shadow of the fulfillment in the New Testament. The, the idea that, that everything speaks to Christ is just so amazing. Back to Numbers 20. So what does Moses do? What does Moses do? 
Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. So we see a completely different response than the one that the Lord had actually commanded Moses to give. And it comes back to this earlier principle that we're talking about that if we are going to be formulating and developing spirit-led responses in his presence, the idea is that they have to begin in his presence, which it did with Moses, but they also have to be determined by his presence. So it's not enough for them to begin in his presence, but they have to be determined by his presence and they have to be communicated from his presence. Moses in this moment does not show grace, does not show compassion, does not show patience. Moses is frustrated. Moses is angry. Moses is almost at the end of his journey with these people, with his generation. He's almost at the end. There's almost this sense that he's just, he's just had it. He's just done. Man, I journeyed with you guys for close to 40 years. We're still in the desert place. And you're still testing God. You're still grumbling. You're still complaining about what he's provided for you. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? As if to say, does water pouring out of this rock make you believe any more in the sovereignty of the Lord God that's brought us out of Egypt, that's brought us out of captivity, that's given us the promise to enter the land, will water out of this rock convince you to now follow him? That's sort of what he's saying. Jesus talked about this mindset when, when he uh, performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. He said, he said, you still need a sign? You still need a sign that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you still need a sign after everything I've done? You're still demanding a sign from me? As if the next thing I do is going to convince you of who I am and my provision and my faith, faithfulness over you as a people called to me in covenant with me, in relationship with me. So that's what Moses is saying. He's like, shall we? bring forth water from this rock? Is this going to change anything? But Moses, he responds in rebellion. And his lack of trust rendered him unable to represent God as holy. See, this moment became all about Moses. Moses allowed the people to determine his response and not the presence of God. 
See, Moses began in, in the presence of God, got the instructions. <laughs> but he didn't allow his, his response to be determined by his presence. His lack of trust rendered him unable to represent the holiness of God. His lack of reliance misrepresents the heart of God in this matter. See, the heart of God was patience. The heart of God was kindness. The heart of God was love. Yet he comes out of the presence of God, and all he is is angry and frustrated. Do you think that this in any way uh, convinced the people, the Israelites, that God was actually uh, angry and frustrated at their grumbling rather than showing patience and kindness and compassion and love? Probably. Moses comes out of the presence of God and he's angry. But he strikes the rock anyway. And even in Moses' disobedience, God's will is still brought to bear. Water still comes from the rock. The people who are thirsty are quenched. So what is the consequence of allowing people to determine our response instead of his presence? There is a consequence to that. There is a consequence to not being obedient to the will of the Father. This is what the Lord says. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. So what he's saying, what the Lord is saying is, is because you didn't trust me, you misrepresented me. You did not uphold me as holy as I am holy. You, I've called you, Moses, to be holy as I am holy. That is my command over you. That is my command over my people, over Israel, and over everyone who puts their faith in Christ. Be holy as I am holy. And he said, because you did not believe, because you did not trust, because you did not trust in me, you misrepresented my character. You misrepresented my nature because I am holy and I'm calling you to be holy. I'm calling you to be patient. I'm calling you to be living in love and kindness towards your fellow uh, citizens. I'm calling you to come into my presence so that I can determine your response in the conflict. So he says, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Apparently this is, apparently Moses was still going to bring them into the land. Maybe not, I'm not sure. Because we know it, Kadesh, the first time he says to them, because of your rebellion, this is, this is the consequence. You've squandered your inheritance. Now, maybe Moses wasn't involved. Maybe Moses wasn't included in that statement. I don't know. 
it sure seems like he was he was still destined to go into the land. But because of this disobedience to him, he has squandered his inheritance. He's squandered his blessing. And the father says, you cannot take my people into this land because you have not trusted me and you have not represented my holiness before the people. And we have a responsibility, you guys, as the church to represent his holiness before the people in our lives. We absolutely have the responsibility to be holy like he is holy. We're not getting out of that. Jesus' blood has already actually paid for that. Jesus' blood has already positioned us as being holy, and now we have to walk it out. But we don't get out of that. We, don't, we, <clears throat> we are destined as holy people, as, as a priesthood before the Lord for his work on the earth. And if we're going to come into his presence so that he can formulate those responses, man, we've got to be obedient to his presence. We've got to trust in his presence so that we can be uh, obedient to his will. We must be patient in a moment of frustration. So what are the consequences? The consequences of, of, of rebellion, the consequences of not trusting him is, is the squandering of our, of our inheritance. If we are constantly living in a place of distrust with the Lord, not believing in him for his promises, not believing in him for what he has said, not believing in him for who he is and what he's doing, not believing in him, not trusting in him for our lives, there is a consequence for that, and that is the squandering of our inheritance, the squandering of our blessing. Now, is Moses living in eternity with God? Absolutely. It's not like his eternal destiny was changed, but his earthly one was. Obedience is the evidence of trust. Let me say that again. Obedience is the evidence of trust. When we trust, a natural, a natural byproduct of trust is obedience to his way, his will, his word, his truth in our lives. Period. End of story. The evidence of obedience is trust. And what God speaks to us in his presence must be demonstrated in our obedience. Let me say that again. What God speaks to us in his presence must be demonstrated in our obedience. Presence produces patience. Presence produces patience. We must be faithful in his presence with our response, unlike Moses. Moses' response was not determined or communicated by his presence. Moses' response was determined by his people. 
And that's a principle and a lesson we can learn from this morning. It is patient, kind responses that are spirit-led that will draw all men to himself. That we will become holy as he is holy if we allow our responses to be determined by his presence and not by people. Last thing is this. Think about the rock for a minute in Exodus 17. The first time they come to the rock before they get to Mount Sinai, think about this for a moment, the typology, the symbolism here, the foreshadowing of Christ that's fulfilled in the New Testament. Think about this for a moment. Moses is told to strike the rock, to strike the rock. And it's, it can be looked at as symbolic of, of, of what happened to Jesus on the cross, that he was stricken right, for our iniquities, that by his stripes we are, are healed. It's this idea that as, as the rock is struck, living water pours forth from it. And it's the same idea that when, when Jesus is struck, when he's put on the cross and struck, that the result of that action is that salvation comes from there. Living water flows from that. Life flows from that. The, the other thing about water in the Old Testament is that it signifies this idea of cleansing or purity. You know, when the, when the Levites would, would go to ceremonially uh, wash themselves after uh, their duties to the Lord, after their worship, um, their, their uh, duty of worship and sacrificing in, in, the, in the temple and in the tabernacle, they would, they, would, they would go in and they would ceremonially wash themselves so that they would not be unclean. And so water has this idea of, of, of cleanliness, of being clean, of, 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 of bringing forth uh, new life. That we are accepted before the Lord when we are clean. And it's really interesting, interesting because Jesus said that out of you will flow living water. Out of you will flow living water because I am now living in you. And when Jesus went to the cross and was struck, it was at that moment where the work that he did, it rendered us completely clean before the Lord. It rendered us completely pure before him because he was the atoning sacrifice. He was the one that brought us back to God. He's the one that annihilated the separation, annihilated the separation which was caused by our impurity, our uncleanness. And so it's so interesting to see as the rock is struck, as, as the Lord asked Moses to strike the rock, it's this idea that when Jesus was struck, water poured forth, new life came out. The people were quenched. The thirst of the people were quenched. They were no longer thirsty. They were satisfied by what God had provided. And it's, it's a picture of what, what Jesus did on the cross, that through his work, God is satisfied. God provides, and we never thirst again. So some interesting symbolism there, some what we call typology of Jesus in the Old Testament, uh, taking principles from stories in the Old and seeing God's redemptive plan in it through Jesus. So anyway, 
that's it for today, you guys. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, next week, we'll continue in this series. And just remember, his presence always determines our response. It's never people. And in his presence, he's trying to develop in us a trust for him and patience with others. So take care, guys. Have a great week. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.